in crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got Gonzo, also known as Super G, joining us on this Friday. And we got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto, joining us later in the episode. So I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how the SEC delayed all six Bitcoin ETF applications this week, extending the date for a decision until October 16th. As the tokenization of real-world assets is taking the world by storm, marking the beginning of what many global institutions are predicting will be a multi-trillion dollar market. And with a Ripple employee stating an inflection point is coming in the next two to three years, we break down the details, showing our community how the largest firms on the planet are in the process of going digital. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Gonzo, we're going to start calling ourselves the home team here on these Thursdays and Fridays because I guess we're the only ones in the building right now. But first of all, how you feeling, my friend? Thanks for making time for us. Yeah, apparently, bro. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling outstanding. Good morning. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here. Yeah, man, you know, yesterday uh, was a great show, uh, you know, I worked and then, but, you know, so my granddaughter's been sick. She went to the doctors yesterday. She's okay. Uh, um, something's like in her lungs. And so we've been kind of dealing with that. So, you know, my daughter's been a little bit stressed out. And so, uh, but yeah, positive vibes for, for Rory. And, uh, but yeah, dude, conspiracy Fridays. I don't know like what conspiracy rabbit hole we're going to fall down because uh, I was tied up last night with my granddaughter, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Get ready, guys, because Gonzo's right. This Not only is this Conspiracy Friday, we brought some exciting information for our listeners, and we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do, by checking out our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button. I'm giving updates throughout the day. When we look at the Bitcoin fear and greed index this morning, Gonzo, we are sitting in fear after some of the SEC news sitting at a 35. But when we check out the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at 1.04 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 48% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin back below 26,000 at 25,800. Ethereum, 1,600. XRP's 50 cents and Cardano sitting at a quarter here at 25 cents. And guys, on this Friday, we already got 137 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Gonzo, it is Conspiracy Friday, but we're starting off with some hard evidence out of Jay Clayton because the financial firms are ready to start buying Bitcoin. But not only that, they're ready to offer it to retail investors. It is clear that Bitcoin is not a security. It is clear that Bitcoin is something that retail investors want access to, that institutional investors want access to. And importantly, some of our most trusted providers who are fiduciaries or have duties of best interest want to provide this product to the retail public. So I think, as Anthony said, an approval is inevitable. Uh, so Gonzo, what really catches my attention here is last Friday when we interviewed Eleanor Tourette on the show, she said she had a private conversation with the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, and how in his perspective, Bitcoin and crypto, it's not the same product it was five years ago. And because of the decentralization aspect of it, they're going to begin offering it to, to their clients. So with Jay Clayton coming out and starting his Bitcoin campaign, how long do you think until we see some products in the United States? So I'm still, I, I understand what the experts are saying. 
And it, it's funny because we talked about this. I didn't think there was going to be an approval on Friday. Like they literally just lost the, the grayscale case. They'd get 45 days for that. Plus kind of like another seven. I'm still of the opinion. And just because I understand how the markets work as far as like technical analysis. And I understand that we need a catalyst for next year. I'm still leaning in to the fact that they're going to delay this somehow, whatever the excuse is, they're going to delay it until next year. And then they're going to approve it so that it coincides with the Bitcoin having so that those two narratives can come together and then push the market up. And so I'm still going to lean on that. Like I said, January 10th is the, the deadline for ARC where they have to say uh, deny or approve. But um, I understand that the market corrected because they didn't get the approval, but I didn't think we we're going to get an approval this Friday anyways. Right. Like I, I think that it, you know, whatever excuse they're going to come up with and they can, right. I've seen some of the ETF experts talk about this. They can come up with another excuse that has to do with custody. Right. So they've been using the same excuse for years. That excuse was taken out in the lawsuit, but they could still attack this from a different way having to do with like the whole custody of, of the Bitcoin. And so they could extend this thing out until next year. So it coincides with the Bitcoin having. That's here's just a, my opinion. Here's what really caught my attention, Gonzo, is that as we look at Bitcoin mining around the world, it is quickly becoming more centralized. And this is a primary example of that. Guys, BlackRock is working to, to offer a spot Bitcoin investment trust to their investors. But what they're doing before that gets approved is they are buying the majority of Bitcoin mining companies in the United States. The five top Bitcoin mining companies in the United States, four of them are owned impartially by BlackRock. And we can see right here, they are the number two shareholder in about 80% of the top five mining companies in the US. And guys, we already got 175 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny Crypto just texted me. He said he's not going to show up until we break 200 live listeners. So please smash that like button so we can do Johnny Crypto here. But Gonzo, what are you thinking when it comes to the Bitcoin mining aspect of this? You can centralize the industry by owning the largest miners in the space. And I think that's what BlackRock is doing here. What do you take away from BlackRock owning four of the top five largest Bitcoin mining companies in the United States? Yeah, so it's a money-making machine, right? So we've, in, in the cryptocurrency uh, field or area, right? We were looking for an altcoin season and we just didn't get it. But if you look where money went to, it, if you look in the stock market, how the, you know, the NASDAQ went up really well, a lot of the, the money went into any stock connected to cryptocurrency. And a lot of it was Bitcoin mining, right? Riot. I, I have a, a friend of mine that's a doctor that's into Riot. He got in when it was a couple of bucks and he was like, when it hit close to like, it, it ripped, it was up like 150%. He's like, you think I should vote profits? And I was like, that's your decision. I was like, I would, right? Because this thing's probably could roll over, right? And so that money that we thought was going to go into the altcoins, it kind of like went into like the stocks and anything that had to do with any kind of blockchain or cryptocurrency. Um, so, yeah. Thank you, Gonzo. I kind of lost, lost my train of thought. Of what the <laughs> no, sorry about that. I got stuck. I got stuck on the opposite page. I'll take responsibility for that. I, I was pulling I, up. Can I? Yep. I was just going to say something real quick. I did see like there was an interesting interview about somebody that says uh, it was one of the ETF guys, right? Like the the main two ETF guys that have been doing all the shows or whatever, and they were talking about somebody that they talked to off the record about Larry Fink, and basically what they said was is that the reason that Larry Fink and BlackRock jumped into the fray was because, and you take this how you want, right? I'm just saying what the guy said, was that uh, Larry Fink is a true patriot and he saw how the US was falling behind with all the drama 
and not having regulation. And then you had Mika, Singapore, Hong Kong, all coming with regulation. And he wanted to kind of pivot things. And that's why BlackRock jumped into the fray for the, um, for the Bitcoin spot ETF, besides making money, right? Because they're going to make a shit ton of money on it. But like that was the other reason. So take that with a grain of salt. Here's a little positive news too. We've seen BlackRock take a step back when it comes to the ESG standards that were being promoted in the United States. Their CEO, Larry Fink, said it's blocking innovation in the US and we're looking forward to dropping many of the ESG standards that exist today. That's a positive for everybody in the United States because whether it's crypto or, in, or just traditional industries overall, the ESG standards have been hindering our economy as opposed to other economies that don't have to abide by those rules for government funding or funding from BlackRock and other institutions. But guys, we already got 191 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is what we're talking about at the beginning of the episode today. BlackRock's Bitcoin strategy involves investments in the top mining companies in the United States. BlackRock has a pending spot ETF application before the SEC. But as we can tell, that was delayed until October 16th last night. So the world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, is increasing its exposure to Bitcoin by investing in the top five mining companies of the flagship digital asset. The top five Bitcoin mining companies are Riot Platforms, worth about $2 billion, Marathon Digital, $2 billion, Cypher Mining, $750 million, and the list goes on and on. I don't want to bore our listeners. These miners have lost between 11 and 42% of their stock value in the past month alone. And BlackRock took advantage of this dip, as they should, Gonzo, increasing its uh, position significantly as a shareholder within these firms. So the asset manager increased its holdings to 6.4% in Riot shares, 6.4% in Marathon Digital, just under 1% in Cypher Mining, and 3% of Terra Wolf. That leaves just one of the top five companies yet to be touched by BlackRock. So when it comes to the BlackRock ETF, what we're seeing right now is mining is one of the most important aspects of Bitcoin, and BlackRock is looking to gain exposure to the mining protocols. So in June, the asset manager applied uh, application triggered a wave of applications for Bitcoin ETFs, followed by firms such as Investico, Fidelity Investments, and Kathy Wood's ARK Investment. Here's what really uh, caught my attention, Gonzo. Larry Fink also revealed its change in approach towards crypto investments. Uh, Fink said the, flag the flagship digital asset was digitalizing gold, adding that it was an international asset earlier this month. Bitcoin is not based on any one currency, so it can represent an asset that people can play as an alternative. It's digitalizing gold in many ways. Instead of investing in gold as a hedge fund against erroneous problems of any one country or the devaluation of your currency wherever you are, Bitcoin is an international asset and it does all of the things that gold can do when it comes to storing wealth, Gonzo. So we're seeing a complete 180. Back in 2018, Larry Fink was firing employees for endorsing or purchasing Bitcoin. Well, here he is doing the same thing, and he's definitely not going to fire himself. So I think it's a fundamental shift we're seeing in the United States. What do you think about BlackRock leveraging themselves through mining protocols? I'm not surprised. Like I was just telling you, my doctor friend that was into Riot, like that's why I told them you should pull profits, right? Um, these guys are going to where the money is, and that's why you've seen them pull back on the whole ESG narrative because it wasn't profitable. And now that they're all in on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining – they can't do both, right? Because even though we know we're in the space, we know it's not true. We know that they're using, um, that they're upgrading that when it comes to Bitcoin mining, a lot of those companies are upgrading the power grid, that they're using uh, uh, renewables, right? That it's just a narrative, but they push that narrative. So now he has to kind of pivot. And if he's going to be investing in Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin, 
Now they have to pull back on the ESG stuff. And so that's what you're seeing, right? They're following the money. They're not doing it out of the kindness of their heart or because it's great for the environment or they realize that it wasn't good for the environment. They realize that it wasn't good for their pocketbook. And so that's why they're pivoting, right? So it makes sense that they're, they're taking shares into these mining companies because they understand where we are in the cycle. And when these things are going to start becoming very, very profitable as we go into the next bull run. Larry Fink calling Bitcoin an international asset is a sign of the times changing. Yesterday, there was a great podcast where two 20-year-olds were talking about development in crypto. And they said, as, many, as new as this technology is, I don't remember existing without Bitcoin. And that's pretty interesting. A lot of 20-year-olds, 18-year-olds, they don't even know a world without digital assets, even though this technology feels so new for many of our listeners. And Gonzo, this is a chart that we've been showing throughout the week because BlackRock is planning on leveraging this massive growth that we are going to see in Bitcoin. And as you can tell, guys, this is a market cycle, a four-year cycle type of thing. We're going to have catalysts that perfectly coincide with the price chart. And it's like blockchain backer always says, show me the chart. I'll tell you the news. And this is what we're going to see in the future, Gonzo. As you can tell in 2012, right before the halving, we got bullish momentum. 2016, same thing. 2020 was a little bit different where we had a bullet, I mean, a bearish catalyst with COVID-19. We got a huge pullback right after the, the Bitcoin halving. But as you can tell, that led us into historic price run, taking us all the way to 70 grand. Now, today we are sitting at $28,000 for the Bitcoin price chart. And one of the things that we can predict is we are going to see similar price movement, whether it's from the halving, the ETF applications, the 401k endorsements. This is what BlackRock is going to be leveraging over the next couple of years. And I just wanted to highlight that for our listeners. And guys, this is a video from Jim Cramer that is extremely bullish because he does not believe in XRP. Uh, you think Coin will do, given the uh, crackdown by the SEC and how saturated the crypto space has become with like scams and things. Like, I even saw a Kramer coin, whatever that is. Okay, what's the stock? What stock? Oh, Coin, Coinbase. Oh, no, I'm not a, a believer in Coinbase because I don't like companies that pick fights with the SEC. It's just, it's just too hard. The SEC plays with unlimited capital and they're not to be trifled with. Well, what do we know about? Keep in mind, that clip is when Ripple and the SEC were currently in court battling for the security status of digital assets. I'm going to play the remainder of this. Solana. What did we know about XRP? I mean, and the answer is zero. And the reason why we know zero is because the government doesn't feel necessary, doesn't feel that it should be regulated. Uh, and we put them up. Uh, we could put up lots of them. We could have put up Enron. That was a very well-traded stock. They just compared... Ripple and XRP to Enron, Gonzo. If that doesn't prove, oh, sorry. If that doesn't prove nefarious incentives in this market, guys, I genuinely don't know what does because XRP, it's very simple. What XRP does is it provides utility to the traditional financial system. Right now, if you're going to transfer money, that process takes several days. But what David Schwartz is highlighting here is how XRP's utility will fundamentally change the way money is transferred. We have the technology to allow every financial institution on the planet to settle with every other financial institution in a compatible jurisdiction in any asset in seconds for less than a penny. Just, just think about this. You, you, anyone who's made a payment knows that we're nowhere near that today. But imagine every financial institution settling with every other financial institution in seconds for less than a penny, any asset. That's fundamentally transformative. We have the technology to do it. Now we just need to figure out how to drive the adoption. And of course, there's all the challenges with there's incumbents, there's regulation, there's inertia. 
you know, there's the big, big, there's big players who are really trying to defend, you know, if you're at the, if you're one of the largest banks in the world, you you want to push pause or stop on technology because <laughs> you know, you're, you're, in, you're in the lead. So of course, like, you know, you say you love technology, but obviously, you know, you wish you could stop it. So I'm going to point out a little comparison here. People love analogies, Gonzo. And one of the things that I can draw in comparison to what BlackRock is doing with Bitcoin and the marketing campaign going on today is pharmaceutical money and advertisements. So this is very interesting, guys. There are only two countries on the planet that allow pharmaceuticals to be advertised. That's not China. That's not North Korea. That would be America and New Zealand are the only two countries on the planet where you can advertise pharmaceuticals. And what David Schwartz was highlighting within this video is that the people who control the financial system today have a massive incentive not to promote cryptocurrencies, even though they provide a viable solution. Now, the reason I drew that to pharmaceuticals is because everyone on the planet knows endorsing uh, the use of drugs on TV, and I know they're pharmaceuticals, they're from the medical industry, but let's call them what they are. They are drugs, is incorrect. And what we're seeing right now is the same thing happening with Bitcoin. Although the, the smartest players in the market understand this technology is revolutionary, they're not willing to endorse it because it's going to take money from their pockets. So Gonzo, how long do you believe until we see a 180? When these financial firms are leveraged correctly, I guarantee they're going to be endorsing digital assets. Yeah, it'll take the uh, the next bull run. You bring up a really good um, analogy. Uh, I was thinking about that while you were talking, Abs. You think about like the opiate epidemic and where we are. And that was all caused by um, pharma, right? They came in and they pushed this narrative and they had their reps go out. If you've ever watched any of the documentaries on how this thing all, all got started, and these, these representatives went out to these doctor's office and almost like a grassroots thing started pushing Oxycontin that turned into the giant epidemic that we see now. You're, you, that's a good parallel. You're going to see the same thing with BlackRock and the Bitcoin spot ETF. You're going to have all of these um, managers, fund managers that are going to go out and start pushing this product, right? And it's going to spread. Uh, so that, that was a very, very good analogy. I, I think we're going to see the same thing. Now imagine this. Now imagine like B of A coming out and starting to push XRP, right? Or XLM or DLT technology, right? Or B of A, JP Morgan, one of those banks doing something very similar. And you can see how this has the potential to kind of take off, right? We, we still, I, I feel like we're still in the speculation phase and we're going to transition at some point into what we call the utility phase where where everything gets washed away that's all speculative or all the garbage we know we have like twenty thousand and something tokens that needs to wash away and then true projects that have real world solve or real utility um can rise to the top and all of that liquidity can go into those projects gonzo what's really interesting about this video right here is that jim kramer said the number one hurdle for projects like xrp is the fact that regulators and governments do not endorse this stuff. There's no regulation in place for the usage of XRP in the United States. And of course, that was before the resolution of the XRP lawsuit. So now that we're in better times here, we're going to break down how leveraging, how institutions can now leverage XRP in the United States. But we already got 264 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to say thank you to Messi Leo for naming me the number one host in the space. Really appreciate that. It said, we're still trying to figure this out, David Schwartz. We don't currently have ODL-related sales within the United States Nexus, and not only being able to do so is really the huge deal. We can still do ODL in the U.S. 
as long as XRP is never sourced from Ripple. This is the green light we were waiting for. And we're about to break down how Coinbase is secretly, or maybe they don't know it, maybe they do know it. They are fighting for fair crypto regulation and specifically for projects like XRP, XLM, Quant Network, anybody outside of the big two when it comes to Bitcoin and Ethereum. And Gonzo, before I get your take on this whole XRP adoption and everything we're going to talk about next, this was something that caught my attention yesterday. As the U.S. court calls Ethereum a commodity while tossing investor lawsuit against Uniswap. Now, this is something Gary Gensler and other SEC commissioners are yet to state publicly. Ethereum is considered a commodity in the opinion of people working at the SEC. So is Bitcoin. But there will be a day when there's true regulation defining what is a commodity, what is a security, and what is, I guess, a digital asset within these spaces. That's the day that I'm really looking forward to, Gonzo. So we're bouncing around a lot. Let's stick with the Ethereum news here. A U.S. court is calling Ethereum a commodity. How long do you believe until we see an SEC official do the same thing? Um, I, I, I don't think that we won't. Not until we get actual regulation, right? Because if you look at their mission statement and what they're supposed to be doing, they're actually not supposed to be making judgment calls like that. Um, I heard one of their previous like top attorneys talking about how the SEC is actually not supposed to be making those judgment calls, but obviously they've done that, right? But I think what's more important about the case that you're referring to than them calling Ethereum a commodity, because we've seen that before, right? The CFTC had it called Ethereum a commodity, is the language that came out from the ruling um, when the judge dismissed the case. Because this is the same judge that's, that's, um, that's in charge of the Coinbase SEC lawsuit. And so I'm not saying that, uh, you know, oh, okay, they're going to go ahead and he, she's going to go ahead. I think it's a female. She's going to go ahead and dismiss it. But it looks pretty good. If you can see where her mindset is, right? I want to read something to you. This is some, something from the, from the actual like write-up. It says, issuers who create ERC-20 tokens are known as developers. Each of them theoretically could register their tokens with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. But such registration are few as Congress and the courts had yet to make a, de deter a definitive determination as whether such tokens constitute securities, commodities, or something else, right? So basically saying what we've been saying that, you know, Gary Gensler says, oh, come on in and register. There is no path forward. There is no way to register because there is no definition. And so that's key, I think, about why the Uniswap case got thrown out. It also goes into what we've been talking about as far as like developers, right? The developers are just developers. They created a smart contract. You can't hold them liable for someone um, building a scam project and putting it on top of Uniswap. So what we're seeing is, is that time and time again, now with Ripple, with Uniswap, with Grayscale, and then pretty soon probably with Coinbase, where the SEC has shown a clear overreach and that the, the judicial branch has kind of given us some definitions and basically said, SEC, you're out of pocket, right? You've gone too far. And this is how we see the law. Gonzo, what's exciting for the industry right now is it seems like forces are coming together. We've got Ripple, we've got Ethereum, we've got Consensus, but we also have Coinbase currently battling the SEC, trying to get us some fair regulation in the United States. And guys, we got 271 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to say thank you to Nylissa for the kind words. I always appreciate that. But here's the latest update out of the chief legal officer at Coinbase explaining how their case is much bigger than just crypto exchanges. And I can understand why many lawyers may start 
shake their head at our approach because this is an approach that is exactly opposite of what you are taught uh, as a baby lawyer and, uh, and, and, and as you confront situations like this. Look, the typical legal response in any lawsuit, let alone a lawsuit with your major regulator, is to go shut the door, hide, issue a bunch of no comment responses to questions and keep the public, including your own customers, entirely in the dark as to how things were going. We decided very early on, and I say we, but I really mean Brian Armstrong, our CEO, that we were going to take a very different approach for the simple reason that it's much more in line with who Coinbase is as a company, our values, and frankly, uh, strategically, what we thought was the most effective way to make sure that uh, the public at large understood what its government was doing in its name. If you enjoyed this. Now, what's really interesting to me, Gonzo, is how everyone is uniting with the corruption behind the attack on exchanges. But when they first attacked XRP for being an unregistered security, it was crickets from the crypto community. No exchange besides Uphold stood by XRP and no exchange besides Uphold stood beside Ripple. And this is what really catches my attention here, guys. The SEC alleged that 13 currencies that are currently offered by Coinbase are considered unregistered securities in their opinion. Coinbase did not delist a single one of the 13 alleged securities, but when they did the same thing for XRP, it was a very quick transition out of Coinbase. They immediately delisted and put out a public statement less than one month after the lawsuit was filed. And for anybody who doesn't remember, Jay Clayton, the man we showed at the beginning of the show, not Gary Gensler, is responsible for filing the lawsuit against Ripple. So I know I just said a lot there, Gonzo, but what did you think about that video overall? And we'll continue. Yeah, you know, it goes just into the whole thing about narratives. And I talk about narratives all the time. You think about where we were when FTX was collapsing and people hated exchanges, right? People were running away from exchanges. And it's so funny how here we are months later, and, uh, and I'm not saying that they're not doing something positive for the space. I'm just saying like how narratives are, right? Everyone was running from exchanges. Exchanges were evil. They were shady. And then all of a sudden now Coinbase rises to the top and they're our hero, right? I remember a time where people were making fun of Brian Armstrong or people hated Brian Armstrong. And now he's like leading the charge to save cryptocurrency. And that just goes to show that a lot of things are just narratives, right? Now, I'm not saying that coin or investing in Coinbase is not, was not a good investment because if you look at it, um, when, when Coinbase did their pre-IPO on Link2, I want to say they were selling the shares for $38, right, a share. When we had the major correction, it got down to $35. I was telling my buddy that's in the stocks, dude, that is like this thing's going to come back. When the crypto market comes back, Coinbase will come back. I didn't even know about what was going to happen as far as the lawsuit and them leading everything. It What, what a great investment that would have been to get in even – under pre-IPO prices, and you can see how it's done so far, right? Um, but yeah, yeah I, I think that um, the SEC is being shady. Like instead of suing individual protocols, they kind of just grouped them all together um, and then threw them into the lawsuit with Binance and Coinbase. Now, the Coinbase lawsuit, I think, is very different than the Binance lawsuit, right? Because with Coinbase, it just got charged with selling unregistered securities. There's no criminal aspect to that, right? With the Binance thing, I don't know. I, I like I like CZ. He's been in the space for a very long time, but that remains to be seen, right? You had that story where the SEC filed a sealed motion on Monday, uh, right, in their case. And when you look at things, why do usually the SEC seal things? Because usually they're a pub, it's public, right? They want everyone to know what they're doing. They want to teach people lessons. They want people to see what they're doing. The fact that it's sealed, the only reason to seal something like that is kind of usually two things. One, you're protecting a witness. So they either have a witness 
that's giving them information that they're trying to protect that maybe is within Binance, or two, they're protecting a criminal investigation, and that's usually the Department of Justice. So I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but something that we need to pay attention to to see what happens, because if all of a sudden they charge Binance with a criminal thing and the GOJ bust out with something, uh, that is not going to be good for the market overall, because Binance is the biggest exchange that we have, right? And so I think overall that's going to be not good for the market or the market is not going to receive that well. We're going to get a, a correction. Gonzo, and this is the type of news that I think is becoming more important than ever because the rest of the world is adopting digital assets as we speak, and the United States is going to be playing catch-up when it comes to crypto regulation. Guys, we got 318 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny Crypto did say once we're over 200, he was going to show up, so he will be appearing sometime soon. And this was the breaking news out of the, out of the banking system yesterday. As Swift details their collaboration with Chainlink, for cross-chain interoperability. And there was actually a document filed uh, last night where somebody was saying that with this news of Chainlink partnering with Swift, XRP is now the top rival of Chainlink. And that's why I asked the question to our listeners today, what do you believe will more be more important to the financial system going forward? Will it be Chainlink and their collaboration with Swift or will it be Ripple and the new financial system being built today? So please, Answer that question in the live chat. We're going to pull up the results at the end of the show. But Gonzo, this is what I wanted to talk about with our listeners. A prominent XRP and Ripple critic argued that Chainlink has become XRP's most prominent rival. The critic argued that Swift and Chainlink's collaboration was one that Ripple had failed to attain. Chainlink is now the number one competitor for XRP as it's forged a new partnership with Swift that Ripple had failed to establish. Now, this guy's name is Dan the Man on Twitter. I find that to be pretty funny. Shout out to Dan the Man here. Linking take, Link is taking XRP's price, uh, sorry, place, says this author. Dan reasoned that Ripple was hostile towards Swift, and in their meetings, Ripple sought to place replace Swift rather than working in collaboration to promote their blockchain technology. And this is a fundamental difference between Quant, Chainlink, Ripple, and XLM. Some of these are interoperable with traditional finance. They can seamlessly work with Swift and improve the product, but what Ripple does is it actually is creating a new system. And this has been one of the biggest hurdles they've had when speaking with central banks, Gonzo. You can't seamlessly integrate the XRPL. Those transactions have to be moved out of SWIFT and into Ripple's new protocols, into the XRPL. Now, there's a positive part of this. There's a negative part of this. I'd like to hear your thoughts and I'll give my rebuttal. Yeah, so, you know, with what Link is building with CCIP is they're just trying to upgrade the current system that we know is adequate. While, like you said, you know, Ripple's trying to replace that system. I think at the end of the day, especially with you see what, it's not just link building something like CCIP, it's multiple of these protocols that are building these connection points so that you're going to have a base layer and you're going to have things that connect to it. I think at the end of the day, you're, you're going to have both, right? I, I don't think it's going to be one that wins out. I think some people are going to use the um, the XRPL, they're going to use XRP in, in that ecosystem. And I think other people are going to build or are going to use what Chainlink is built. And, built. and Chainlink is built on top of Ethereum, right? That's what I keep saying as far as that Ethereum base layer and these layer twos or things that are built on top of it, right? But I think we're going to get both. And then at the end of the day, they're all going to connect together, right? You think about the internet and <clears throat> how it came to be, right? How it's different phases that it went through. And it was basically just figuring out a way to connect all of these different things together. And once we did that, that's kind of where 
web one went to web two, and then you saw what was built on top of that, like things like Facebook, right? Um, and, and, and all the other different apps are kind of leading my mind right now, but you can see everything that was built on top of it. And so I, I think we're still in the building phase where they're building all of the infrastructure, but I think you're going to have, I don't think it's going to be one that rules them all. I think you're going to have both. Keep in mind, Gonzo, and everybody else out there, that tokenization of real-world assets is yet to take the world by storm. And this is a video I'm excited to play out of Crypto Lulu. He was supposed to join the show on Wednesday. We rescheduled, guys. Crypto Lewis is going to be joining the show sometime in September. I believe it's around the second week of September. So that's going to be a really, really exciting conversation. And this video right here is explaining how companies like BlackRock can only benefit from the tokenization of assets because it's going to take their $40 trillion that they're currently holding and double it when it comes to value. Here we go. That the price of an XRP has already been set. Now, obviously, it's not there yet, but let me tell you how it works. So let's take an entity like BlackRock. They have $40 trillion worth of assets in their books. If they were to tokenize those assets and put them all onto the XRP ledger, there's an argument to say that they would be able to actually calculate their exact impact on the price of XRP based on the value that they're adding to the blockchain. So Gonzo, one of the things I'd like to point out before we play the end of this video is first of all, we got 352 live listeners out there. Show us some love, smash that like button. Thank you for being here on this Friday. I hope everyone has a great weekend. One of the things that he said in this video is if BlackRock decided to tokenize all of their 40 trillion or billion, whatever he said in assets, and they put it onto the XRPL, they would be able to calculate the price what I believe is there's no chance in hell that happens, guys. There's no way that these financial firms pick a singular blockchain to tokenize on. And we actually have a lot of evidence to prove that to you. XDC, XLM, Algorand, Chainlink, Polygon. Many of these blockchains are in collaboration with financial firms. And so even if Ripple or XRPL just gets 10% of the assets that BlackRock manages, that's going to be a historic day for not only the price, but for the markets overall. But with that being said, guys, I'll play the remainder of this video to tokenize those assets and put them all onto the XRP ledger, there's an argument to say that they would be able to actually calculate their exact impact on the price of XRP based on the value that they're adding to the blockchain. Now, if BlackRock could exactly calculate where the price would go if they added their assets, what's stopping all of the countries and all of these massive financial entities or these rich families making a calculation of what the XRP price would be if all of them added their assets to the XRP ledger? If they all knew that calculation and the answer, they would essentially be able to set the price of an XRP token. And therefore, they could buy up all the XRP now, add their assets to the ledger and sell their XRP for a massive profit. Let me know what you think. So I'm not going to say I agree with this, guys. I'm actually going to disagree with what he's saying here, but I like where his mind is at. He's focused on 100% tokenization. If we get 5 8 10% tokenization, that will be a historic day for every single person in our live chat because believe it or not, guys, we're all going to be making money at the same time when these prices go up. So Gonzo, you tell me, do you think he has some validity here? There will be a day when firms like BlackRock begin tokenizing on the XRPL or Chainlink and many of these other blockchains. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going, like you were saying, Abs, I don't think it's going to be all of it on the XRPL. I think, like we've talked about, it's going to be multiple ones, right? You could already see that even though we know that the XLM, XRP, XCC, all of these are better they're built to move money. Where do you see the stable coins being built on? They're being built on Ethereum. Good, bad, or indifferent, gas fees or whatever, that's just where they're building, right? And so I think it's just gonna take some time 
for someone to be brave enough to come out and build a stable coin and put it where like it's more efficient. And then maybe people will see like, okay, this is a better way to do things. And then that's how things happen. But I, I think we're going to get both, right? It, it's wishful thinking. It's cool. Like you said, I like where it's mind things and it gives you kind of an idea. But even if we had, like, there's no point of letting the greed kick in, right? Even if, like you said, you had, like somebody was saying at 10%, I don't know if the numbers are right, but they're saying at 10%, that's $27 a token. That is a huge gain from where our entries Guys, are. Here's right? what I can promise you, Gonzo. Let me just say this right now. If we see $27 a token for XRP, we're going to be recording in person from a live studio going forward. I'm going to fly you out here every day, Gonzo. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I didn't want to right? continue, bro. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm just saying like, you know, at some point, like, and everybody has their number, that number is going to be different. Um, but I, I think what's important is that we make sure that because these cycles are not done, that w whatever that top ends up being that, that you pull profits, right? Um, because you can pull profits and when this thing peels back and it will peel back, you can get back in, right? At a better entry and then kind of do the whole thing all over again. Because I still think we are years and years away from this uh, becoming the 12th sector and kind of stabilizing like the stock market has, right? Remember when the stock market started, it was all speculation, right? But over the years, it has stabilized and then now you get smaller moves. I think that's what we'll see when everything gets washed away and we get regulation and, and this thing ends up in its final form. Um, I, I think we're going to get less swings, right? Less volatility. But for now, for me, why not play that volatility, right? Why, why not make as much profit as I can in that volatility? Uh, and whether it's trying to make more dollars at the top or at the bottom, make more XRP, you know, that is my overall goal. And when I say pull profits, it's not to pull profits and go buy cars. And, you know, obviously we have to live, but the, the goal is to pull profits to get back in, not to go out and just pull profits and spend all the money. Gonzo, this is a question I wanted to address as well. Cordell Lewis says, some people keep saying that Ripple and XRP will not get the lion's share of cross-border payments and derivatives, but it doesn't need the lion's share. And this is what we're saying. It's a positive thing that Ripple doesn't need 100% of tokenization. If BlackRock decides they're going to put 8% of their assets tokenized on the XRPL, we are going to have historic portfolio value that many of our listeners didn't see even during the 2021 bull run. And Gonzo, me and you have been in this market for quite a while, three, four, maybe five years for you. I'm not entirely sure. But this is what we saw in the past. Dogecoin went to $40 billion in market cap. XRP reached $120 billion in market cap during a lawsuit with the SEC with a speculative bull run. So if we did see any utility or tokenized assets come into this market, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we broke all-time highs and then ended up reaching a $5, $12, even $27 price target. So give me some quick thoughts on what you think price targets could be realistic for 2025 when it comes to XRP. Yeah, when we're looking at exit prices, um, you know, you put some gamatra in there, I don't have the exact numbers, but uh, I, I'm looking at like $14, $15. Uh, I think most of it that will come out. I do have like, obviously I, I have a percentage that I, I, I carry into the future, but like the high end, when you pull like a macro full fib is like 22 to $24. But like I said, you know, 7, 10, 14 to 15 is kind of where I'm, I'm scaling out. Um, and then on the high end. And I always have some that I'm taking into the future in case I'm wrong, right? And this thing absolutely explodes and goes parabolic and it goes to these crazy numbers. I always have that bag that's off to the side. So I'm never completely selling out of it. But, you know, I will be pulling profits.
100% guys. And one of our listeners commented, you guys should look into VeChain too. We do hold VeChain. I love VeChain. It's a great project. One of the things that keeps me a little bit speculative about VeChain in particular is when you look up the partnerships that they have, supposedly they're working with Amazon, they're working with Walmart, but all of those public statements have come from VeChain and not those companies themselves. So it's a little bit of research. We already got 370 live listeners here. First of all, Happy Friday. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And if you can provide us some evidence of the partnerships that VeChain has, I would love to cover them on this channel for our listeners. So please fill the live chat with that information. And Gonzo, this is what David Schwartz said earlier. And I read this a little bit, but I want to highlight this right now. We can still do ODL in the United States as long as XRP is never sourced from Ripple. This is the latest update from David Schwartz after the lawsuit with the SEC. And as you can tell, Crypto Erie, one of our good friends, is also commenting here. I saw the bridge pass the audit the other day. So Ripple currently owns Medico and Medico is a crypto custody firm holding nearly 250 million in tokenized assets. That is how institutions can source XRP. They can go to Coinbase, they can go to custody firms like Medico, or they can even just go to exchanges like Uphold and say, we're going to buy at the market value and start using this product. So Gonzo, let me ask you point blank. I want this to be really short. Do you think we're going to see some ODL adoption in the US before the end of the year? Yeah, I, be I believe so. I, I think they're already doing that. When you talk about technology, I mean, look at the experience that we had with Merlin and all the beta testing that we've had to do. And then now we're finally rolling out. These aren't things that they just decide overnight. I think they're building the infrastructure for it. And then once they get kind of legal clarity, that's when it kicks in. But yeah, I believe that they're already kind of either testing it out or they're building the rails so that when they get the clarity that they need, they just have to implement it. And one of the things I think we should cover right now, guys, is Ripple's IPO is closer than ever. And I do think it's going to take place in the United States. Here's one quick statement from the lead lawyer out of Ripple, Stuart Alderati. He said, hopefully this quarter will generate a lot of conversations in the United States with customers. And hopefully some of those conversations will turn into real business. And the last thing I want to mention here, Gonzo, Bank of America has been a huge endorser of Ripple X. Um, and some of the other products, I just can't remember them, X-Rapid, many of the products that Ripple offered in the past, Bank of America has stated that that technology will be utilized at some point. So I think that's what we're waiting for. One big financial firm will put all of the traditional firms at a huge disadvantage, costing up to 12% to transfer your money in a traditional firm. You can do it for a fraction of a percentage when you use the XRPL. And that's what I think will really open up the floodgates here, guys. But this is a great video out of Link2 that I found this morning from Joseph Endosa, who is the CEO of Link2. And what gets me excited about this video is he's explaining how XRP is the only token in the United States with legal clarity and how that could have a huge impact over the next three or four years. So since we were talking about XRP, I think we got to talk about the big win for Ripple in XRP being declared not a security, uh, certainly a landmark case and a lot of implications, not just for XRP holders, but the entire altcoin space and how Congress may choose to act and regulate. What are your thoughts on how everything played out? I think it was a monster win. And, you know, I was on a Twitter space a little earlier this morning and telling the folks there that personally, I was actually a little incredulous, Tony, because I, I was surprised by the level of skepticism and um, sometimes even downright fear on the part of people that I thought should have been celebrating what was a, a landmark win. I mean, I, I think if you had to rate it, it was 80% win, right? And, and only 20% loss. And maybe the 20% loss, frankly, is big 
bigger than it should be. And we can talk through about why that is. But bottom line is that Judge Torres made it crystal clear in no uncertain terms, categorically stated that XRP itself, the token, is intrinsically not a security. That is hugely important because that is the exact opposite of what the SEC was arguing. That XRP is intrinsically a security. And Torres basically said, no, it's not. It's not a security any more than the orange groves in the original Howie case were a security. They're not. It can be wrapped in a securities contract if it is sold and marketed and offered in a certain way. But as long as you don't do that by itself, it isn't, right? And she actually laid out very clearly a whole number of situations and circumstances in which it's offered and used and traded without being a security. All of those ways, all those facts and circumstances, frankly, are the facts and circumstances that going forward, Ripple itself will be able to use XRP under without it tripping the securities regulations. So, And that's where the huge advantage is right now, Gonzo. Being the only token that has definitive legal clarity in the United States, it's only going to become more important as adoption takes place. And one of the things that our listeners should be aware of is when it comes to this swift collaboration with Chainlink, they're doing many of the same things that the XRPL does, but what Chainlink is doing structurally different is they are integrating into SWIFT, right? This is very important for our listeners to understand. If banks are going to use Ripple, they must stop using the SWIFT system and plug those transactions into the XRPL. What Chainlink is doing here is they're integrating themselves into SWIFT, allowing SWIFT to do the accounting while they're transferring the value. And although it's not done in seconds, it is done in minutes, which is still days better than what's offered today. So Gonzo, I did want to get some of your thoughts with Joseph and Dosa stating the legal clarity is there. Now we're going to see adoption. Do you agree with him? The monkey's off our back. Yeah, we just have that small piece of it that's still left. But I think that's going to get resolved. It's just going to take time. Just like the whole case took time to resolve and to get the ruling from Judge Torres, I think we're going to get we're going to need time to resolve the other part of it. But once that part of it is resolved, as far as um, them selling to institutions not being a security, and that could come through a settlement or it could come through some type of appeal. I think we're eventually going to get that. I think we just have to be patient. Like we say this all the time, uh, we're so early, it feels like we're late. And and so we just have to be patient. They're going to continue to build. Like I said, they're building the the foundations and the infrastructure. We're, we're closest that we've ever been to getting regulatory clarity, right? Congress has these bills that they can argue on. We have an election that's coming next year. We'll see how that plays out. Hopefully somebody, the person that wins is has a different mindset than um, the current administration that have been very anti-crypto. Um, but I think all those things will get resolved and whatever crypto is going to become as an asset class, you know, we're, we're moving towards that, right? And I feel like we're the closest that we have ever been to get regulation and to get actual adoption. So at some point, and that, that's why I said, depending on if we get the regulation before the next bull run, I still think we might have one more bull run ahead of us, right? Like we might get a combination of speculation and utility, this one, but if we don't have the clear rules yet, but then we get them in the next bear market, that next bull run, I think will be a full blown utility. Maybe it happens this time, we have to wait and see, 
But if we don't have that regulatory clarity, we don't have Congress coming in and giving us those actual definitions, um, then I, I think it'll have to be one more cycle. And then once you get that, it's like, I've said this before, um, imagine what they're going to build. There's things that they're going to build on top of this that we haven't even thought of. And that's really where the network effect takes in and where everyone starts to kind of pile in. We're just very, very early. Gonzo, this is something very cool that I heard in, in the financial industry a couple of years ago. It said competition fuels innovation. And this is what we're seeing happen in the crypto space today. We are seeing a collaboration of ideas, a collaboration of projects. And this is the competitive aspect that we were talking about earlier. Dan alleged that alongside losing partnerships with MoneyGram and Swift, Ripple dropped on-demand liquidity volume from its markets report. He argued that XRP would become less appealing solution for cross-border payments when Swift, the largest provider for cross-border payments on the planet, upgrades its technology with Chainlink. So I'd like to ask you, do you think that Chainlink is slowly outpacing XRP? I know my opinion is absolutely not. No, I don't. I know it's an opinion piece. Like we'd have to do a lot of research to check that out, but, but, but I don't, right? Like Chainlink, when you see where it's come from, right, where it's built Oracle and it has all the partnerships and now with CCIP, it's kind of turning out to do something different. It's adding to its value, right? Um, this is what XRP was built for specifically, right? And so um, I, I don't think that's accurate. Obviously, you know, we're not experts. We have to do research on it, but um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. And it's just because the technology is just so much better. And at some point, like, just like we say that utility has to kick in, the technology aspect of it has to kick in, especially if it's more efficient, right? And you need less things to kind of make it work. Um, and it's more profitable, right? If they find a way to make money, then it, that's definitely going to help with the adoption of it. I want to give a shout out to the live chat right now. Thank you so much for filling us in. We've got some great updates when it comes to VeChain and many of their partnerships. I'm just going to read a couple of these and we'll get right back to the XRP content. Michael P commented, Price Waterhouse, BMW, and a couple of these I can't read. Oh, Walmart China, Cointelegraph, H&N, and Shanghai Gas are all partners of VeChain. And this is not a complete list. That's really helpful as well. I know the UFC is also partnered with VeChain. That's another really exciting partnership there, guys. So on Monday... This is my promise to you. On Monday, I will put a VeChain section into these episodes, and we can actually discuss some of these partnerships with Gonzo and Andrew Castle and Johnny Crypto as well. This is a very important article I saw this morning. As Wall Street Experts says, 10,000 in Ripple shares could become 140,000 after Ripple's IPO. And we already got 343 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And like always, guys, we save the best content for the end of the show, so be sure to stick around to the end of the episode. Gonzo, this was a video we showed our listeners yesterday. Currently, the IPO evaluation for Ripple does not include the escrow and all of the XRP being stored in those accounts. So what uh, Linda P. Jones is stating here is that if the escrow is included, we will see a historic IPO. And she even draws ties to Coinbase within this article. So Ripple's share price is currently $40. And she argued that investors should focus on the company's underlying value of only $6.6 According to Linda... Ripple has the potential for substantial growth in the coming years. A valuation of something like $6.6 billion with Ripple has the potential to reach much greater value. Now, here's where we talk about 10,000 becoming 140K. Jones argued that the potential of Ripple's growth, citing the comparison to Coinbase's exchange. She mentioned that the US-based crypto exchange went public at an $86 billion evaluation, and I believe the share price was somewhere around $360. 
This figure implies that Ripple's current price evaluation is at least 10 times lower than Coinbase. And Linda P. Jones suggested that people buying Ripple shares now could potentially experience more than a tenfold increase in their initial investment. The Wall Street expert gave her instance. She noted that an investor could put $10,000 into Ripple and it could easily become $100,000. That's just if it doesn't do as well as Coinbase. And if it did, or if it does better than Coinbase, which it easily could, it could be a very important reason. Ripple's uh, current escrow is, is evaluated at a 50 cent price target. But what she's implying is that during the next few years, we are going to get a bull run up to these higher price targets, which will drastically increase the value of the technology company that is Ripple. And one of the things people should understand about when you're selling these technology companies, there's a couple of big factors. You've got your client base, you've got your resources, meaning your employees, your computers, your databases, but then you also have the actual company in and of itself, meaning the partnerships, the buildings that you own, the CEO, such as Brad Garlinghouse, all of these things play in and, and play a major role into the evaluation of a company. And when I look at Ripple, I'm no financial expert here, guys, but I'm definitely an endorser of cryptocurrency. When I look at Ripple as opposed to Coinbase, Coinbase receiving an $86 billion evaluation seems like Coinbase could get something, seems like Ripple could get something very similar when they IPO. And this is the last thing I want to say before I kick it to you, Gonzo. A $6 billion evaluation is pennies on the dollar when you consider what Ripple's created from an infrastructure standpoint. Not only are they holding nearly, I believe it's $45 billion XRP at this point after selling to banks over these last couple of years. Not only that, the client base and the NDAs that I'm sure have been signed behind the scenes, God only knows how valuable those are. So I do want to kick it to, your th to you. Do you think that Coinbase... Or sorry, do you think that Ripple could potentially IPO at a higher price or higher evaluation than Coinbase? Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, I've done the math myself when I got into Lick2. Uh, Coinbase 8x, I believe, is what it did when we got to, like, all-time high from what they were selling it at. So um, I can tell you for a fact that um, my Ripple um, stock has already doubled from my entry price. And we haven't even gone, like, into an IPO I definitely believe that the big key to that is like, we don't know because we're not attorneys and we're not into that financial world. We don't know how much of the <clears throat> escrow, because right now they claim zero in the evaluation. We don't know how much of it they're going to be able to claim, right? If at all. But if they are able to claim some of that in the evaluation, it really kind of expands that number, right? And common sense would think that you would be able to use some of that, if not all of it, right? But I'm just not sure what the rules are when, when a company goes public. But <clears throat> to add, ask, uh, to answer Node Army's uh, question, um, I, I don't know if we can, we, we can talk about it, can we, Abs? Uh, yeah. So, so all I can say, Node Army, is if you're in the academy, then um, like, I think Jeremy's been talking about it, but like if you're in the academy, you'll see what's being built um, and it answers kind of your question. I just don't know if we can talk about it yet because they're in the process of filing for certain things. Uh, and so I, I don't want to mess anything up or I don't want to get in trouble. But yeah, no, we should just skip this because I'm just not sure what yeah. we can say or what we can't say, guys. But what I will tell you is that there is a process underway where we could be offering some pre-IPO products and that's about as much detail as I can give. But if you're interested in that, check out the link down below and join the 3T Warrior Academy. We go in-depth yeah. on all this stuff within our academy. And Gonzo, this is another exciting video for our listeners as John Deaton, Eleanor Tourette, and Charlie Gasparino were discussing the likelihood of an SEC appeal. And John Deaton seems to think it's very unlikely. You know, in the last couple of minutes, 
what is your, you know, how far does the SEC get with this interlocutory appeal? I believe that Judge Torres denies the appeal, and I think she takes the opportunity to address uh, the distinction between what Judge Rakoff said and what she said. That's my prediction. And that's what gets me excited, Gonzo. A lot of people are worried about this appeal, and a lot of people have claimed that the SEC's already filed an appeal. That is not the case. What the SEC got approval to do is they got approval to file the motion to appeal. That means they got permission to state their case as to why they would appeal, not even file the actual appeal. So it's very interesting, and this legal stuff, it's it's not that fun to cover. So you give me some of your thoughts. Do you agree with John Deaton? Very unlikely that the judge approves the SEC's appeal. You know, he's been pretty spot on. It was funny when you first brought up the story yesterday. I thought she had already approved it, so it was going to the Second Circuit. But it was actually she approved the motion. So the decision on the interlocutory appeal still has to be made. But he's the expert, and he's been pretty spot on. So I'll lean into what he says, right? If he thinks that she's going to deny it, um, then maybe she's going to deny it. But even if, let's say, she played it safe and she approved it, it still has to go to the Second Circuit. And the Second Circuit can say, "Mm, no, no, thank you. Because the Second Circuit might look at it as you still have the criminal case. Even though we know the criminal case is BS, it is um, undue stress on Chris Larson and Brad Garlinghouse. They have a right to have their thing adjudicated before this thing gets kind of appealed and extended out or go into a different phase. So it, you know, I, I'm going to lean into what he says and that, you know, that case goes to trial next year. And then remember, this is just the interlocutory appeal. This is not the actual appeal. So even if it gets denied, they get, we'll have the trial next, next year if they don't settle. And then the SEC can do their full-blown appeal if that's what they're going to do. And then it goes to the Second Circuit. Gonzo, and this is the last article we're going to show for our mm-hmm. listeners. And we got 340 live listeners out there. Show us some love. Smash that like button. This is some positive news to end the Friday on. This thesis is showing how the tokenization of real-world assets could lead us into a historic time when it comes to financial development. And one of the key things that they're stating within this article is that real-world asset tokenization will unlock a new golden age in blockchain and traditional finance. Now, what's so exciting, Gonzo, is this transition is already underway. The current state of play is that traditional financial firms, including BlackRock and Fidelity, along with real-world asset startups like some of these, are using the blockchain to tokenize assets that actually comport with the real world. And these categories include commodities, art, real estate, financial instruments, as well as stocks and bonds. And the last thing I'm going to say here is that BlackRock CEO Larry Fink said the next generation for markets, the next generation for securities will be tokenized securities. And I don't think there's anything more positive I could say to end this episode, guys. We got 343 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Gonzo, I know we got to run on this Friday, so I'm going to close this thing out the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. And Gonzo, that, my friend, would be you and you alone this morning, guys. We'll see you guys in 72 hours. I really hope everybody has an amazing weekend. And like we always say, Warriors, ah, get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go. Great show, bro.